Welcome to Tomorrow's Tech Today, bringing you the latest in technology, talent, and transformational change. With me, your host, Professor Sally Eaves. Hi everyone, I'm Professor Sally Eaves and a very warm welcome to Tomorrow's Tech Today, bringing you the latest in technology, talent and transformational change. Today we're focusing on enabling your data-driven organisation, how to optimise your data value. We'll bring to life issues from data silos and data paradoxes to data waste and data literacy, how to close those gaps and how to transform data into enriching, intricative data insight opportunities with that right combination of technology, people, culture and trusted partnership. And to do this, I'm delighted to have with me a fantastic guest from IBM, and that's Thomas Harrer, CTO, Server and Storage, IBM Technology, Amir. Welcome to the show, Thomas. It's so lovely to speak to you again. I'm excited to be here, and thank you for having me, Sally. My absolute pleasure. And I think maybe to start off for the audience, I always think it's so nice just to get to know a little bit more, you know, about the person behind the technology. I wondered if you could share a little bit more about your current role and really what brought you here today. You know, what are you working on that excites you the most or maybe that you're most proud of? Yeah, my, my current role is CTO in server and storage technical sales. Technical sales means I need to understand the requirements, the opportunities, the challenges of clients, and translate that into solutions. And nowadays, when it uh, comes to data, to innovation, technology always helps to innovate. And these solutions, therefore, are often related to technology and related to handling data. So what brought me here? I have a 25, 26 year of experience in that field of doing uh, consultancies and projects with with clients all over uh, Europe and uh, also recently EMEA, which is Middle East and Africa. And I came into that professional space after studying computer science at the end with some focus on genomics. So I did research on using neural networks to understand what's in the genes of, of people or all kind of living uh, creatures, uh, plants, animals, etc. Fantastic. But 25 years ago, we have not made big progress on that. So it was just at the beginning, but it feels still today, it's, we are just at the beginning. So there's so much ahead of us, which can be tackled with technology. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And, and technology that could tackle you know, business transformation issues, but also some of the bigger societal issues of our time as well. And I think that's a great example there. So much still to learn, but I think the trajectory ahead is a really, really exciting one, particularly the co-creation we're seeing at the moment with organizations coming together. So perhaps if we kind of drill into this a little bit more, one thing that I'm seeing a lot at the moment is kind of this move to always on, always accessible from everywhere and anywhere. So when it comes to data, but also when we look at some of the recent research, but also C-suite conversations that I'm having at the moment, they're reflecting that actually there's some challenges with this. They're moving beyond the four Vs of data. So volume, veracity, velocity, and variety. It can be challenging to actually move to that vital fifth one. So data value. From your role and the oversight you're seeing there and the different organizations you're working with, what challenges or barriers do you see that organizations are experiencing? Yeah, that's a big topic, I would say. Data itself is, as you said, it's it's growing because it's 
getting efficient to use more data to tackle the big challenges, to understand more in the business world, in medicine, for example, there is so much that can be learned from data that is generated more and more from patients, from um, sensors, from the genomic machines that uh, understand what's what's going on in life, but also in traffic, for example. We talk about self-driving cars, autonomous uh, vehicles. And these are, let's say, driving robots that generates gigabytes of data every minute and processes that data and uh, takes decisions. And uh, that's, uh, let's say, an analogy for what every organization could do. In every kind of area of a business, there is data and there may be an opportunity to even use more data because it's getting more efficient to, to do that. And that data has value if those organizations leverage it, it right. But the challenge is so much data needs to be managed. Um, we need the right people to have the right data science skills to understand what's in the data. And this is only for, let's say, the newest kind of data, the sensor data, data coming from cameras, data coming from natural language, from, from people interacting. But there is also critical data for many organizations that is describing the state of an organization, the transactions, the money, the contracts, everything that is a secret of these companies. And uh, to bring those these kinds of data together with the mission-critical core systems, many customers here, many organizations use SAP, for example, and vast amounts of data that could be stored in data warehouses or typically are stored in data warehouses. But if you imagine that data is more and more generated at the edge, outside of a central IT department. You see where the challenge comes from managing all that data. Absolutely, absolutely. Especially as some of those needs are becoming increasingly real-time, for example, and the different integration of technologies that are involved in this. Absolutely, it really brought that to life. Thank you, Thomas. I couldn't agree more. And thinking also about the rate of change. Obviously, that has affected things significantly, particularly over the last year, probably more than any other. And we've seen multiple change accelerations. So pandemic in particular influencing this around acceleration in hybrid working, cloud, also global data consumption as well, accelerated by five years, I think, over the past one. So the role of the pandemic in that, what trends do you think are set to stay in terms of that acceleration? Yeah, you already uh, mentioned that the digital business is accelerated, has been accelerated by the pandemic very much because organizations understood that the, the value that is generated in the future is coming more and more from digital processes. So uh, organizations invested into the transformation of more traditional business processes and augmented them into more digital business processes. And this will stay. This will not go away. The, the way we work together, the way we interact with customers, the way we generate trust, the way our production is, is done, the way we get information about what's going on in the world is becoming more and more digital. And this will sustain uh, and will even accelerate in the next years to come. Probably that's the, the most important thinking. And uh, when I think about the pandemic, what I clearly see is that we are approaching an era of life science 
with the help of data. So we understand much better what's going on in biology because nowadays um, we have the data and we can analyze different sources of data in order to deliver an individual medicine treatment for somebody with a disease. The vaccine design process is a process where data is combined like a program is written. So the, the, the RNA of a, of a virus uh, vaccine, the mRNA approach, is just to, to build the right nucleotides into a sequence and uh, make that a quite appropriate vaccination for a specific disease. And with that, all that knowledge, we are able as humans to provide better cures for for diseases, even a precision medicine, which is having a group of one single individual patient and creates treatments that are only designed for this one single patient. That's only an, an example of what, what's going on here, but it's it's much forced by uh, what's going on in, in the biomedicine world with uh, the COVID-19 vaccines, and it can be applied to many, many other things. But it's only an example. So there are other business problems that get tackled in a similar way by using data and by designing very specific solutions based on data to, to that problems. Absolutely. I think that's a particularly powerful example that will resonate with so many people about, well, I mean, medicine, you know, DNA, healthcare, all these different aspects. There's something that affects every single one of us. It's something we can all relate to. So I think it's incredibly powerful. And that personalization of experience, whether that's around you know, precision medicine, as you were talking about there, but also around personalization of experience and building trust in our interactions with different businesses as well. And right across that stakeholder ecosystem, there's so many kind of trends that are coming together here at the moment, isn't it's a really, really interesting dynamic time. And I think it's affecting you know, expectations and behaviors and adoptions around different technologies as well. So really, really interesting. And one thing on, on that note I've been recently um, reviewing is some new data. And it's talking about the data paradox. And it's effectively showing that for many organizations at the moment, currently data volume does not equate to, to data value. And I think we've touched on a couple of examples on that as well. But as one example, looking at that research that was conducted by Forrester, it was saying that you know businesses believe they're data-driven, but actually they're not prioritizing the use of data right across the organization. Secondly, businesses need more data, but actually they have more than they can handle at the moment. And thirdly, although many businesses believe in as-a-service benefits, only a few have actually made the tradition to that model fully. So it's kind of this transition time at the moment, managing these data paradoxes. Is that something that you're seeing in your role at the moment? What do you think can be done to overcome that? So I like this uh, data paradox, and I see that in several places. So when we say that the core of the data paradox is the discrepancy between volume and value, that is absolutely true. There, There is not an equal identity of volume equals value. Probably I see that more as a spectrum. There is some data which has per se a very high value because it's uh, the, say the, the critical data of a company. And at the edges, there are more um, amounts of data that need additional intelligence to get to the value which is in it. And only if organizations are investing in unleashing this value, and not every organization has done that so far, then the 
the smaller value which is actually in that in that large data can be uh, can be unleashed so that's that's probably my view on that it's a spectrum of volume and value so there is probably a core set of of data which is not the largest data of a company which has the highest value per se because it contains everything that has to do with resources with money with all the planning of an organization so if that data goes away uh, no company can operate anymore but then when it comes to understanding what's out there uh, probably thousands of sensors could generate some additional data which could be even larger than the core data um, to understand what's going on you will need ai uh, and some data science practice to get the value out of the data to to make it understandable to make it comprehensible probably that's the thinking about this this paradox uh, if companies are not investing into these uh, understanding and analytics of data and automation with and based on that understanding then there will be no value out of that absolutely absolutely it's almost this kind of again i love that spectrum example i think that's a great way of looking at this and so i think it's a, a time where we're moving beyond you know, data ubiquity to the analytics aspect of that, it has to be equally as important to get that value, to be able to derive that and apply it. I think there's so many ways, you mentioned some of the technologies there, but also aspects around your technology integration. I think there's so many points there that can really help organizations achieve this. So as part of that, what do you see as the role of, for example, like self-service access and modeling, and as we've touched on a little bit already, analytics and how that is changing, how organizations view and can become more data-driven? How are you seeing these tools as an enabler? Looking from inside a company, what uh, the employees, the, the knowledge workers can, can do. Yeah, of course, self-service is an important part uh, having the right platform to access data to do something with it to create more intelligence out of that data that is important of course and then understanding what can be done with data is is the first thing and then bringing it into every business process and automate things that enhance the business process that make them more intelligent more valuable that is the next step so thinking for a minute about you know, how different companies are seeking to actualize this and maybe focusing specifically on the relationship that ibm has with sap and I'm, I've, I've been involved in this myself and i know there's a really long-standing trusted partnership here um, so I'm thinking specifically around SAP S4HANA, SAP Data Warehouse Cloud, SAP Analytics Cloud, etc. What do you see as the key areas of enablement that these are affording? You mentioned the great partnership that uh, SAP and IBM had over decades of good uh, good collaboration. Yes, uh, of course, I'm in IBM Technology, and there we partner with SAP to provide the base technology for SAP HANA. But in IBM, there's also the global business services practices who help customers to leverage SAP from different places, uh, including those that you have mentioned, to, um, to get to unleash the innovation. So I um, see a partnership in the area of SAP HANA over 
a couple of years. SAP HANA was introduced by SAP in 2013, when I remember right, or, or even earlier than that, with the, the vision to accelerate business processes by having an in-memory database and building all the critical applications around that. S4 HANA is the core enterprise mission-critical ERP, enterprise resource planning environment based on HANA, based on that in-memory database. And uh, if customers are, if uh, organizations are deploying HANA, probably the smaller ones will uh, use a hosting partner, cloud partner to do that. Uh, if that is, is okay from a regulation point of view, that's another interesting thing. The data is uh, always regulated and uh, c companies have to know what what is a good solution for that to be compliance. But larger organizations who decide to use SAP HANA in their own IT system on-premises, uh, we have more than 3,000 clients already on IBM Power Systems uh, because that is the most flexible, scalable platform that uh, creates lots of value for S4HANA. S4HANA is such a critical system for many organizations. And if this is running on a more reliable server, a server that is scalable, server that has the, the best cost uh, performance and also performance metrics, that is, from my experience, something very attractive to, to organizations. So that's the, the way where we, we partner very well in this area of technology and in the area of services to help organizations to achieve their, their goals. That's excellent. And as part of that, are you doing um, some like particular examples of, of SAP Data Warehouse Cloud as part of that as well? So I'm engaging more in bringing the, let's say, the, the technology to customers when they want to host their own S4HANA systems on their own premises. But my colleagues from uh, IBM Global Business Service they typically act on engaging with customers for data warehouse cloud and for other opportunities. Excellent, excellent. That plays a really um, holistic picture of that partnership. That's really, really interesting. And how do you think that's impacted customer success? I, I know you mentioned the power example there. I really do think that is an incredible partnership. I've seen so many of the case studies there. It's impressive in terms of you know efficiency, uh, performance. Uh, some of the sustainability benefits, I think, are really interesting as well. But it'd just be great to share maybe a couple of examples, if you can, of maybe a customer engagement there to kind of bring that to life for the audience. Yeah, in, in that case, when... S4HANA or BW4HANA becomes mission critical. Having it on a platform that rarely fails and can be extended without difficulties, that helps companies to concentrate on their core business. I know of many areas where S4HANA or BW4HANA environments did not scale over time were not able to extend, were not flexible enough, or even failed because these in-memory databases, when it comes to large main memories, the probability that a main memory module is failing is in increasing dramatically. And many organizations experienced failing systems in standard server situations, and they really see a difference when uh, they deploy these S4HANA systems on, on power. And the, the interesting thing is when these decisions are, are taken, it's often 
a commercial decision looking into some economic numbers, some total cost of ownership numbers. And in many cases, the first thinking is always to compare acquisition costs to, to see how much money will I need to spend to deploy two different options, for example. And one of them is, let's say, having a, a mid middle quality and one is very high quality. All the experience that I know are at the end when customers are looking back five years later, they see that their decision for the higher quality was always the decision for better cost and better outcomes. And that's that's very interesting. So when it comes to these decisions, those who favor a high quality approach need also some kind of guidance and good arguments that this will be the the best solution for them. And we we have now uh, hundreds of client references that can show that this is the right way to to move forward. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I've seen a number of those myself firsthand and, and spoken to a lot of people as well. And indeed, it was recently the um, SAP Innovation Awards and some of your partnership uh, results came to the fore there. And again, I love the fact that we were seeing results, not only that were supporting businesses in their transformation journeys and all the benefits you were alluding to there, but also for societal impact as well. It was a really nice balance and combination. So I love to see that. And it's great to showcase that. And I'll share some resources alongside the podcast actually, that brings some of those case studies to life if people want to dive into more detail. So I think we've given a really lovely overview here. And if we haven't spoken about it already, is there anything else you'd like to bring to the fore about the tools you consider to be most vital you know, around things like higher resiliency, scalability, security, governance, as we've touched on a little bit, and also interoperability as well? What are you seeing as kind of your kind of top three to support organizations in this journey? So my first trend that I want to name here is open source. So besides uh, getting software from vendors like SAP, many organizations are leveraging open source elements to create their integrated systems in hybrid cloud fashion or in public clouds or in private clouds. The majority of elements that are deployed there are based on open source software. And it is a good advice to look into containerized structures. So besides the, the big monolithic core systems like S4HANA, which is still a monolithic system, uh, at the outer layers, there will be more intelligence based on containerized systems with cloud native applications that integrate well with those core systems or with the data warehouses. And um, it is important to have the right hybrid cloud platform established there. We in IBM, you know, uh, IBM has acquired Red Hat and we promote Red Hat OpenShift as an enterprise-ready, very secure and flexible container orchestration platform that can be combined with SAP very well and is a very good choice because in OpenShift you can create applications or you can write once and deploy wherever it is running well. You can deploy it on the hyperscaler clouds in the IBM cloud, for example, but also in a private cloud, so privately, but also at the edge, so where the new data is generated. So the same applications written once can deploy it everywhere without any change. And that's the 
the big strains of OpenShift in that in that case. The second thing I want to to mention is confidentiality, uh, data privacy, sovereignty, which is probably a uh, hot topic right now. And organizations need to understand the requirements, the rules on on that very specific data. If it's customer data, if it's personal sensitive data, there are big rules, especially in Europe with the GDPR, with the General Data Protection Regulative, where the end clients are remaining the owners of the data. And an organization that is sharing that data or is is losing the data, that's the, the worst case probably, without having encrypted the data, is uh, probably getting fined by the European Union. So in the overall architecture, the different elements of an architecture need to be understood well. The deployment options in the different clouds or locally or at the edge need to be understood. And then data security, probably confidential computing where everything is encrypted without allowing a cloud provider to look into the data. That are the topics that, uh, let's say, make the, the story hopefully round enough. Because all the innovation is nothing if a company gets hit by a cyber attack or loses data because it was not encrypted or an administrator was compromised by some social engineering and allowed somebody to get into the the, the network and the, the mess has just started. So it's a balance of innovation and protecting the data and doing the right things. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And is that the word trust again really springs to mind as you're talking there, getting that balance right to ensure that. And uh, I think it actually comes on for me as well to think about some of the cultural considerations about this. So whether we're talking about data literacy to to support some of the projects we've spoken about throughout this conversation or around embedding security, as you were alluding to there. And, you know, that's very much a shared responsibility, isn't it, across all levels of the organisation, very much that kind of zero trust approach. How important are you seeing that, the cultural factors, the investment in skills alongside the supporting technology and the partnership relationships we've spoken about already? How, How are you seeing that? Skills and the investment into skills is key. It's absolutely key. All the progress that could be made is depending on people understanding what's going on, understanding the technology. You mentioned co-creation at the beginning. Co-creation is something where skills come together and build something good. And without the right skills, it's getting really hard to, to change things. And you need more and more IT skills, mathematics skills, data science skills uh, to unleash the potential and the value that is is possible. But there is also a shortage of skills, and we we see that war for talent of the the most talented, let's say, graduates coming out of the the universities, or even the more experienced professionals in the market. So companies have a lack of of skills in in certain areas and it will always be or it will be for the next couple of years difficult to find all the right people to move forward with an innovation agenda. 
Absolutely. I was reading only a week or so ago, actually, that I think it was security, architecture and testing. They were the top three that a number of organisations were reporting. They were really struggling with filling those gaps. In fact, they were getting bigger. So you're absolutely spot on there. So there's a lot of implications for reskilling and upskilling and also more holistic skill sets as well. As you know, I talk about kind of STEAM learning approaches a lot, but I think that's really important as well for supporting co-creation. And I know what you do with IBM Garage, I think, is a great way of bringing different roles in the organization and different skill sets together to to address problem areas collaboratively so yeah i just wanted to mention that because i was really impressed with what i've seen in terms of that agile approach to to solving problems that's fantastic so from a leadership point of view then how how are you seeing the role of leaders changing because i'm seeing quite a lot of evolution in in c-suite roles at the moment and as one example of that maybe the cfo being closer now to the cio or the ciso and maybe moving to a more well beyond operational focus to one that's more around agency. Maybe that's one way to kind of think about that. So what factors are you seeing for leaders now moving forward? Because I think we're, you know, with everything we're talking about here, we're kind of moving beyond uh, resiliency and maybe sometimes reactive resiliency to becoming more proactive and agile to change going forwards. You know, data-driven, data value we've been talking about. How does that affect leadership? That's a great question. And I remember that I have seen IBM C level studies so cio studies cto studies on that which actually showed a couple of years ago technology was not the highest ranked thing on the minds of of the c-levels and probably the ceos of companies did not prioritize too much the role of technology so it has been seen as a commodity it can be purchased easily, uh, can be outsourced, can be put into some nearshore, offshore sourcing. But in the last five years, that perception has changed to have technology as a differentiating factor of an organization and even the the ability of the sea level to understand technology, to shape the future of a business with technology has become more important. So we see more and more CTOs in the boards of organization because that is what drives their progress into the future. Absolutely. I think that role alignment has, I think we've talked about IT and business alignment in various guises for probably about 40 years, isn't it? The research goes back to, but now more than probably at any other time, getting that right and having that voice is absolutely critical. So yeah, it's a really good example of that. So maybe now if we move on to focus naturally on cloud computing. So roughly a third of IT budgets at the moment are going to be spent on cloud. So IDG, for example, have just quoted that research. I believe it's really vital for organizations to focus on six key areas. So we've got cost, obviously, but there's security, compliance, performance, reliability, operations and application modernization as well. So do you have any maybe quick-fire recommendations to help reduce cloud spend waste but increase the cloud efficiency and cost predictability as part of that? So how can you optimize the opportunity wherever you might be in your transition or on-premise expansion journey? That is an excellent question, Sally. So cloud is something that evolves also in the perception. Um, Cloud was seen as the the only target a couple of years ago, the only chance to deliver innovation. But nowadays, cloud is more neutral. Uh, It's a vehicle to achieve a purpose. And this purpose is 
to help an organization to become more efficient, more agile, and uh, do the right things. Cloud itself, when it comes to cost, uh, many organizations have realized that cloud is not always the cheapest thing. When it comes to cost, it's always good to understand the requirements. So there are certain workloads, let me call it like that, that are spread all over the world, which are best hosted in a public cloud because the network, the internet connectivity is already in place and it doesn't make sense to do anything different on that. And especially when there are some peaks in the workload, a cloud can have a consumption-based cost model, which is perfect. But when it comes to very demanding high-performance elements in, in the computing, uh, this could be much more efficient and more let's say, less less costly uh, using a private implementation, a private cloud, because then you can control everything that needs to be in place. And it's also true, you, you mentioned compliance. Compliance is one of the reasons why organizations need to understand exactly what can be done with, with the data. And for example, in Europe, uh, you know, we have the Cloud Act European Court of Justice. And this means if companies are putting critical data unencrypted into a public cloud of a foreign country or for a US country, uh, company like IBM, then uh, they get into a legal gray zone and they uh, would avoid that if they put the data encrypted into those clouds. Cannot be done with most of the clouds because you have to bring your keys and the cloud admin is able to access the data. The IBM cloud is different. You can keep your own key. And confidential computing means that even a cloud administrator cannot access the data. So companies are quite safe in that IBM cloud. But uh, if they control the data privately, then uh, they typically are even better off because then there is no risk that anybody else could access the data. And of course, it's a way to balance the cost and the effectiveness to uh, to have that mix of edge, public cloud and private cloud, and also some mission critical core systems well integrated together. And technology that we have today is enabling that. I already mentioned OpenShift from Red Hat. OpenShift is a platform that brings that seamless cloud experience to organizations. So the resulting intelligence or the applications could run in public clouds. But if that is no longer good cost-wise or quality-wise or compliance-wise, those companies can just move that these applications to a local data center. Of course, they need to to move the data, which is the, the, the bigger challenge, but there is no architectural barrier when such an orchestration platform like OpenShift is used. That's the smart way of cloud today, not coding against a specific cloud, but using an open standard, using a, a platform like OpenShift, the platform, the platform idea is, is the, the biggest idea here. And then companies get flexibility in a hybrid cloud. You can even combine the different flavors and integrate them well. 
Absolutely. I love those points around compliance. You know, I think every conversation I have at the moment is, you know, how can we reduce complexity? How can we prove in integration? But with compliance specifically, you know, the rate of change is so high. You have geographical differences as well, as you gave with that great example in, in terms of Europe. So things that can help support people doing that the right way and having that kind of embedded by design, so to speak, is absolutely the right way to go. So smart cloud it is. I couldn't agree more with that. It's fantastic. I think we have time for just one final question, if I may, which would be a great kind of wrap up piece of advice, really, to kind of draw on one of the areas we've spoken about or maybe something we, we didn't have time to cover. But advice to share with the audience about how best to innovate and thrive in this data driven multi cloud era. So if, if you could pick something, what would that be and why? The best way to um, to move forward in that innovation journey, yeah, to use technology wisely in a responsible way with the right skilled people leveraging assets of others and this includes open source because there's already so much out there that can be reused and then create a unique way out of that so every company is is unique and should be different and Probably it's always good to use what is there and make your own differentiation out of that. To be a very special company with all the data that is available, all the tools, all the clouds and all the technology. And then innovation really happens. Absolutely. That's the very essence, really, of, of human tech in partnership, isn't it? Right there. That's fantastic. I think what a way to end it, Thomas. Thank you so much. Really appreciate all your insights today across a holistic range of areas that really also integrated incredibly well. So that was our episode on enabling your data-driven organization. And I hope there are lots of takeaways to help support you optimize your data value. So thanks again, Thomas. And we'll be sharing assets as well with some of the kind of case examples we've spoken about today. Um, for the audience to dive in deeper to those topic areas and examples too. So thank you, everyone, and I hope to speak to you soon. Thank you. Thank you, Sally. Thanks for listening to this episode of Tomorrow's Tech Today. If you enjoy what we're doing, please subscribe to us and leave a review. It really means a lot. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram and see more behind-the-scenes video footage on YouTube. Thanks for listening.